0: Listeners, start your engines. episode 46 rob here on this episode we're starting a brand new mega series all about the planet of the apes films that was all nine from 1968 original to 2017's war for the planet of the apes on this episode i am honored to be joined by thomas green of perpetual cinema to discuss the 1968 game-changing original film as always you can find more episodes of this show on apple Podcasts, spotify Good Pods. And other podcatchers, as well as crookedtable.com. Go ahead and give us a rating and review wherever you're listening to this. For now, let's listen to a little bit of the trailer and then jump into our conversation about 1968's Planet of the Apes. A civilization where humans run wild
1: in the jungles, and the superior beings are apes. The tribunal has placed you in my custody for final disposition. Do you realize what that means? No. Emasculation, to begin with. then experimental
0: surgery on the speech centers, on the brain. And a kind of living death. <laughs> Welcome to Franchise Detours, where we leave no movie series travels in a straight line. On this episode, we're traveling through time and space to the planet of the apes for the start of a brand new mega series. That's all nine Planet of the Apes movies from 1968 to 2017. Of course, we have—I uh, think it's supposed to come in 2024. It hasn't—the release date hasn't been officially announced. But Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes coming from uh, the now Disney-owned Fox in I think the next year or so. So we're getting on an early jump on that franchise this year. But I am honored to welcome to the show Thomas Green from Perpetual Cinema. Welcome to the show, sir.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here, excited to, to talk some apes.
0: So last time we talked on, uh, on Close Watch, we talked uh, about Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, I believe, right?
1: That was it, yeah.
0: Yeah, and you had uh, movies after work, I think, at that point. So tell people about... Perpetual Cinema, What what's, uh, what's, what's that about and what people have to look forward to?
1: So Perpetual Cinema, it's a, a panel discussion show. So I bring uh, a group of, you know, two to four people in for a panel and we discuss some aspect of the industry. Things like, you know, are the academy awards still relevant or important to the industry uh, do we have an overuse of cgi are there real movie stars left in hollywood in this in this a- age um we just kind of dissect different aspects of the industry uh to see how they're affecting things and what if anything could be done to help them propel the industry forward in the future to keep it going strong.
0: I love that. And so while, while the rest of us are talking specific movies here and there, you're, you're going after the big questions. I, I appreciate that, Thomas. Uh, what was the, the inspiration for, for that new show and, and kind of getting, uh, getting that off the ground? Cause I know it's relatively new, right?
1: Yeah. it's, uh, it's very new at this point. Um, had to deal with a bunch of different technical things and then, the the joys of life's unpredictability, but um, mm, yeah. I had I had wanted because with movies after work, Alec and I, he, I'm more the like movie addict, and he is he's an enthusiast. He you know he loves watching movies and watching TV and stuff like that. And so it was really just a chance for us to kind of discuss things. But I wanted I wanted to do another show that was a little bit more of a deep dive into things.
0: Yeah,
1: and. I always kind of I I always kind of love the idea of having a panel discussing um, discussing some of the bigger questions you know some of the stuff that people for better or for worse tried to dissect on Twitter um, or the conversations that you can find yourself having uh, when you're with a group of friends basically taking that fine line between philosophical and business when it comes to the industry and just tackling it head on head-on just always fascinated me.
0: So you, your first episode that you posted is the the one about, are the Oscars still important? We're recording this the day after the Oscars <laughs> happened. So <laughs> uh, can you is there anything you want to tease specifically about that episode for people that want to start with the first episode of your show? Because uh, I, I still need to listen to your show. I, I definitely want to get on that. Uh, I know you and I have talked about me appearing on there at some point in the near mm-hmm. future. So I, I'm big Oscar fan all the Oscar podcasts I've been listening to until now were like who's going to win the predictions and the interviews with the, the nominees so now I'm going to go back and listen to yours cuz I'm like well I hope so cuz I just wasted all this time with it Thomas um
1: <laughs> yeah I mean we we talk a little bit about the uh this year's nominees um including I won't uh I won't name names but there is one one Oscar nominated performance that I I was even willing to suggest if it had, if the film had a different director, that same performance would have been a Razzie nominee instead of an Oscar mm-hmm. nominee. Um, but we, I mean, we had a great discussion. I had Andy from geek salad and uh, Mike from Mike, Mike and Oscar. Uh, the, it was the three of us sitting down talking about this stuff. And really we kind of, one of the big things that we ended up dissecting and spending a lot of time on was just the the academy's responsibility to the celebration of film not necessarily um the creating the obsession of accolades mm-hmm. so we we really dove into just what could be done to make it more of a celebration of everything that came out and not just um you know, not just celebrating what was essentially last night, like four or five movies that got <laughs> yeah. co- you know were celebrated by getting accolades, and then every other movie that came out this year supposedly doesn't matter because it didn't win an Oscar.
0: Right. No, it was it was wild to to realize after the ceremony that like six of the ten best picture nominees, I think maybe even more than that we're all, all went home with zero wins. <laughs> so I was like, wow, I didn't, it didn't even like, you don't clock it in real time until afterwards. You're like, oh, so this got seven. And then, you know, this got like five or whatever. And so everything else was squeezed off the board. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I love that. I, I think that's, that's a valid point because it's, be, it's become so politicized and that's what, what you're saying is exactly the kind of thing that, Makes me look forward to it every year. Is that it's a celebration of movies, and everybody really, everybody comes together to accompli- to to celebrate what everyone's accomplished. And yes, there's the horse race element of it too of of it too. But uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's really it's really kind of the the fun and the tradition, and and it's also sort of a timestamp of the industry and by extension our culture. And I think that's that there's always usually something that the winners have to say about. Uh, either the industry or or our culture like you know uh, when Parasite won and that was a huge moment for for so many in film Twitter and, and so many in the industry and and uh, you know you can kind of track the trends with the the awarded films I think a lot of times
1: oh absolutely I mean it's um I and I, I'm I say this I've said this more than just the episode but the really the only award that matters beyond just the obvious is best picture and it's because yeah. you, it's essentially the industry saying this is what we want to be doing you know yeah. this is where we want to be going and the the year that i always acknowledge is the year of avatar versus the hurt locker yeah um avatar loses and the entire industry goes eh never mind with 3D and starts looking more respectfully at the indie film market, we wouldn't have a 24 being the juggernaut that it is in what it can do at the box office and an award season, the hurt locker, the film with the the smallest box office gross of mm-hmm. 10 best picture nominees being the best picture.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: So it's those little, those little things that happen, that the matter i mean you mentioned parasite would we have had you know the hunt ready or not triangle of sadness the menu we've had so many dark comedies about uh the the class warfare and i guarantee you every single one of those movies got put into production because parasite won. this yeah. was a best picture subject matter it also held them forward
0: it also further legitimized international film, which I think we've seen more and yes. more since then as well, uh, is, you know, international features getting a bigger chance at the the above the line categories. I mean, All Quiet won a bunch, not Best Picture, but it, it looked for a while there like it might have. And at this point, it wouldn't have surprised me just the way that things were going with, uh, you know, tr- just trending overall over the last few years
1: all i mean All Quiet as a combination of parasite and coda winning cuz i mean coda winning was huge cuz that's a streaming movie winning best mm-hmm. picture and I'll, I'll i'll be honest i kn- i didn't think that was going to happen for years but uh, given the fact that we already have uh big heavy hitters like you know the the, the easy one being scorsese where he'll talk about you know he talks about going to the movies until he's blue in the face, but then he's making movies for streaming services now, despite his love of the theater. So it's, it's becoming just an accepted standard. So they're the comfortability with awarding them has, has gone up.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm, I'm really see that now I'm even more excited to listen to your episode. So after we're done recording (laughs) this, after we're done talking planet of the apes, I'm going to go listen to that. Because I'm so obviously so fully in the Oscar mindset right now. Uh, So yeah, definitely people check out Perpetual Cinema and uh, listen to to that episode as well as whatever else Thomas has uh, planned. But speaking Oscars, this movie Planet of the Apes from 1968, this won an honorary uh, Oscar for The Makeup, which we'll get to, of course. Uh, directed by Franklin J. Schaefer, who uh, later went on to win uh, the Best Director Oscar for *Patton* patent of just a few years later. Uh, budget of $5.8 million went made 33 at the box office. Of course, loosely based on the Pierre Boyer, Boy- 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 I don't know how to say that exactly, uh, novel from 1963. So what was your introduction to Planet of the Apes? This is a franchise that's been around over fifty years, was it this first movie, or was it? Did you pick up with the uh, with the apes somewhere along the way?
1: It was with this first movie. I, w- when I was in high school, I was you know I was really trying to expand the the films that I was into and the films that I liked, and and my film literacy in general. And this was one that my dad steered me towards. Uh, he knew it was. He knew it was going to be m- my kind of thing because I, I always I journeyed into the weird whenever I had the opportunity to. So he knew this would be right up right up my alley. And the first time I watched it, I was captivated. I could not stop watching. And I even I knew um, I knew the the big end moment, and still. Was not ready for it, despite knowing how it ended. So as a result, it's it's just been a it's been a standard in my 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 film catalog ever since.
0: Yeah, I'm, no, I'm glad you brought up the ending because I, I was going to get there, obviously. But when we might as well just get that out of the way at the beginning. Uh, I I saw this in around 2001. I'm not sure if it was before. Or after the Tim Burton one, when that came out, the reimagining. It was either right before or right after. Either I, it's, you know, because I was, that had come out. And so I I went back to finally catch up with this movie. Uh, And obviously those are two vastly different films, (laughs) uh, including the endings. But they, you know, it's this one, I think what struck me about it then and even more so now is, that it, this is a very pessimistic movie about humanity, about uh, our our fate, our, our pattern of behavior, our destiny. Uh, and I think it all goes from that ending. Obviously, the big reveal that the Planet of the Apes, spoiler alert for a 50-something-year-old movie, is Earth yeah. in the future, and that we've essentially destroyed ourselves. And like you, I knew the ending. Uh, mostly, Most of my context from the ending was... There's a joke in Spaceballs yep, <laughs> with That's, the, that's exact, that that's that was exactly my point right. of reference for a longest time. With it, with the you know they land the Spaceballs land on on the planet of the Apes, and then they the two Apes ride the horses up, and they're like, "Well, sh- shit, Space there balls. goes the planet." <laughs> yeah. Oh man, great, great movie. Um, yes, but yeah it's do you feel that as well watching it now especially you're like wow this is really imaginative and really like profound but also really bleak about what it says about us
1: oh it's it's incredibly it's incredibly bleak and not even just about us as humans um i mean there's definitely an orwellian uh quality to everything but i mean mm-hmm. the movie ends with you know the this evidence that they found is being destroyed um uh, Zera is is basically going to lose everything because Cornelius is going to be brought up on um, heresy charges uh, so, so that way they can cover themselves up. So it's you're you're leaving everything at this point in just the worst possible environment for for every good guy. Um, but it's also just kind of, it's the norm. At the same time, in yeah. a funny way, it's that sort of that weird um, hope for the future in terms of where we can advance to, but at the same time, going yeah, but we also suck. So even if we are, <laughs> even if we do manage this, it's all going to fall to pieces because of this.
0: Yeah, every step forward is like two steps back, essentially. Exactly. The, the The system's not going to be brought down that easily. The bureaucracy. <laughs> Let's say let's say always with like asterisks around it always wins um yeah and so yeah so of course dr Zayas uh goes back on his word uh, with with zera and cornelius and I, I yeah i it just it's just one of those endings that not only is that image so indelible to the point that spaceballs just had to go you know do had to do their own version on it uh but also it, it's i I think one of the most influential film endings because it it recontextualized the entire movie because it, it's this and, and Psycho, I guess, from the 60s of like those huge movie twist endings that you see and then you're like, I need to immediately watch this movie over again knowing what I know now. Um, yeah. Yeah.
1: It's, it's a, I mean, it's a phenomenal ending. It's a phenomenal reveal because it's this sort of, it's it's also kind of a gut punch and a middle finger to the audience because you're kind of sitting there going ah you just you just watched the you just watched dr zaius being a jerk and and feeling all proud of you know taylor's the hero taylor's the hero hurrah he's at least he's gonna be okay and it's like no this all happened because we right now suck right plot twist you and the audience are the villains of this movie (laughs) i hope you liked your popcorn
0: i would love to have been in that audience in 1968 like on opening night just like the screen the you know the credits start rolling and people like wait what the fuck (laughs) what do we do now (laughs) like that's where you leave us
1: (laughs) this is definitely one of those this, this is definitely on the list of movies that i would love to go back in time and see it with an audience at the time of its release
0: and of course, that that ending is is one of the things that was in Rod Serling's uh, early script of this film that just stuck around till the end because that makes this whole thing feel like even more so like a two hour Twilight Zone episode. Uh, oh, absolutely, a hundred percent. Yeah,
1: it definitely. It's sort of a. It, it's kind of like the the infamous the the racist who goes through all the different. Um, forms of discrimination throughout human history. It's kind of like almost a semi-reverse of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, this is even, this ending even is before things get, I even way bleaker in the sequel, which we'll, which we will, hear we get to next episode. <laughs> but, um, you know, the original, at one point, the ending of this movie, Nova was going to be pregnant and, and Taylor was going to get killed. And uh, you know, that didn't happen, but there's sort of, I feel like there's sort of elements of that, that kind of trickle into beneath with various characters. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I just, it's, yeah, it's, it leaves you in this, in this wild place that it's, you kind of need to like take a moment and, and reconfigure yourself after the film ends.
1: Yeah. And it's, I mean, the the whole, like rewatching the movie just for, you know, just, as research for this was kind of sitting there and realizing like, man, this whole movie throughout the course of it, it's kind of, it's like a, a start to feed you something and then take it away from you. It does that a lot in different ways with this movie.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, even with the beginning when they're, you're supposed to be expositing these three astronauts to make you like them. Even then you've got Heston sitting there going, yeah you're a terrible person he doesn't care about humans we only thought to bring one woman to make her have to have sex with all three of us (laughs) right to populate this planet you know like he's you know he's spending his entire time with this cigar just talking about how none of these characters that are supposed to be our heroes are good people (laughs) and we're just sitting there going wait this is how we're diving into this world (laughs)
0: No, that the, there's that moment where uh, I think it's Landon, I think it's Landon who, who's, somebody's burying Stuart and puts the flag. and then there's that, there's that sort of weird cut over to Charlton Heston and he does that like you giant guffaw um, like laughing in response and it's just like he is he, he's such a <laughs> he's very unlikable as a protagonist. He's very cynical about yeah. people. And I love that as an arc for him. But yeah, it, it is exactly what you're saying. That it's just they they completely cut the like his legs out from under him by the end of the movie. Because the whole point is he's he's saying, Oh, you know, I, I became an astronaut because there has to be something better than man. You know, we all we're all terrible. You know, this is this is bullshit. I don't even want to be here, whatever. This is the reality of it. And he's very he's a real like I'm looking for purpose. It's not with people. They're fine, whatever. But we're kind of a doomed species. And then throughout the course of the movie, he sort of realizes, oh, okay, I need to have some connection. I need to connect with, you know, he finds Nova. He finds Zira. He sort of forms like friendships with them. He has to rely on others to to survive and to get himself out of the situation, only to get to this point where he's like, oh, crap, I was right. I knew it (laughs) all this time. Yeah, yeah.
1: A, a self-told so moment at the very end.
0: I can't believe I fell for this. Well, yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, yeah, he he's along with talking about just how terrible they are. Yeah, he spends a lot of that opening of just being like, yeah, everything you guys love and care about is dead and gone, because um, yeah, it's he. It's not necessarily that Landon is, and I mean, maybe it's just interpreting differently. I never took it as Landon is doing, making, leaving a memorial for Stewart. I always just took it as he's doing the whole, like planting the flag to claim the place. And like, so it's literally just, he's there trying to claim this, this place that no one, you know, that they will be the only ones to land on, you know, all of like just the complete pointless. And it's his, as Taylor points out later, it's his need of being this like immortal entity of history. And his, you know, his his obsession with that above all else.
0: Yeah, but it's, it's, it's also Landon sort of uh, his duty and his sort of sense of protocol, not realizing that they're so far, at least, or you know, not not reconciling with the fact that they're so far past that uh, on the timeline that, like, you know, there's kind of no reason to even bother with it. I, it's it's. It, there's a lot of it feels like this movie watching it now it feels like the source code to so much science fiction that we've seen since like the whole even the the time displacement thing you know i think i think of recent or more recent films like interstellar things like that that have sort of tapped into that a little bit more uh and we were you know we were sort of saying about how how like of a how much of a gut punch this movie is it also feels like and, and tell me if you get this impression as well that like the marketing sells it as the year's most unusual and important motion picture, and it feels like a cross section between the whole, you know, the the, the B movie creature features of the fifties and early sixties, attack of the, you know, the the Space Apes or whatever kind of thing, where, but but at the same time, we're sci fi, we're sort of evolving into uh, a more respected, more philosophical, more reflective. Genre in the mainstream with things like 2001: Space Odyssey, which came out the same year, so it feels like this is sort of the the missing link between between Attack of the Fifty Foot Woman and movies that like, like 2001 and such that would come after.
1: Yeah, no, and that's that's definitely something I was thinking when I when I watched this film is that it's exactly it's this it's definitely this kind of the the starting point to modern. Uh, science fiction in a lot of ways uh, due to the fact that yeah it's it's one third the like think the thinker mentality of 2001 um it's a third the creature feature of you know like you know like a bird eye gordon film uh and it's a third the like The visual wow movie, like uh, Fantastic Voyage from the 60s as well. I can't remember which year exactly. I think it was a few years before this, but um, you had movies like Fantastic Voyage that were all about, you know, the visual effects and being uh, medically accurate and stuff like that. So you had these three different types of um, these three different types of science fiction all combining to make this one film. That's really just something, something incredibly unique, uh, and something that still to this day it just feels so original.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it, it establishes I think right out the gate too such a clear uh, not only world building but also the society of the apes. I think you you get thrown right into the middle of it. You see the first I think it's like thirty two minutes in. You, you get one of the most iconic images of the franchise, which is apes on horses, which I think is, which runs through to the point you get to like dawn of the planet of the apes a decades later. And the image is Caesar on a horse holding a gun. Uh, and I, I, it's, it's even that itself is one of those startling images. You get that, you get the sort of uh, the kind of caste system in, in ape society where, the orangutans have a certain function and the gorillas are in the military and everybody has their their specific place. How even in ape worlds, the species are sort of judged by uh, by each other and sort of placed in varying roles in, in society. I, what do you think this movie has to say about humanity through the, the form of uh, I guess the culture that the apes have developed because I I think it's really fascinating and sometimes it's something profound like that. Sometimes it's something as, you know, as direct as look at these apes posing for a picture with the animal that they've just caught uh, <laughs> and how ridiculous that looks when we as humans take a step back.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, there's, yeah, especially with the, the moment of, um, taking the photo with their, with their quarry. Right. I mean, beyond the, beyond the fact that that's also the first moment where we have the, you know, the photographer ape is practically looking down lens and is the first ape to speak in the movie. Right. Um, Yeah. But yeah, it's very, you know, it's very, uh, you know, kind of that not so, not so nice on the other side, is it sort of moment, but um, yeah, there is, there is I don't want to say class system, um, but there is a profiling that happens Definitely. in in this in this whole world and it it balances out to kind of um, to a certain level of irony how we view. So the, you know we we think of chimps as the brainy ones. so in this world they're the scientists. We think of um, gorillas as the big, you know, the big broody ones in this world, they're the military. And we, you know, when we see orangutans, we always kind of see them as just kind of the wise, poised, sitting there looking over everything. And so in this, they're the politicians. It's, there is, um, it it all makes a weird amount of sense because of our own uh, assumptions. And it's, again it's it's a thinker in this in that realm of like, you know your 2001 a space odyssey kind of films where i guarantee it's one of those movies that i i'm willing to believe a lot of people would leave the theater talking about the film on a surface level and then mm-hmm. as they continue to talk about it with their friends just kind of realizing the the similarities and the parallels and, and all of those kinds of things. Um, I mean, we're literally talking about a movie in the, in the sixties that started with, Hey, we've got a black man who is an astronaut that's entrusted with this mission. And he's going to be having interracial horizontal mambo with this white woman. And in this, you know, in the '60s, that's still something to be. That's that's still quite a thing to be pushing towards the the modern to towards the public. So this movie is <coughs> challenging you know, at all times, um, and and challenging what people definitely think on the norm.
0: And the more the the story unfolds, the more you get a, a greater sense of sort of the insidiousness. Of this culture, that the deep dark secret behind it all. And I love the fact that even in in ape society, there are layers to that. There are people protecting that secret, but there are also those, most of them, who are completely in the dark, who are well-intentioned, who are who live in this world of subjugating humans because that's the only way they know. Which again reflects humanity and reflects how we treat each other, especially even more so more blatantly at that time.
1: Yeah, I mean even even Zero who has sort of a love and respect for for humans at the end of the day she still views even Taylor as pretty much just test subjects. Like for for all of her grace and all of her um her kindness, Cornelius and I'm spacing on his name, but the the little
0: Oh, the nephew. The, the yeah. Nephew, they
1: what are What is that kid's name? Um, Lucius, I think his name?
0: Yes, Lucius.
1: Um Cornelius and Lucius are the only ones that 100% at all times consistently are treating humans with a sense of equality. Um Deus does behind closed doors because he knows the truth. Um uh, but Zira, you know her fascination. You know it's all scientific curiosity to her. That's um, why, like, my favorite moment in the movie is her reaction to Taylor talking for the first time. Yeah, just like that exhilaration of "Oh my God, I'm right!" and and, and, and the the greatest scientific thing to ever happen in the history of the Apes. Is happening to her? I think she's by no means is she so, uh, as bad as being opportunistic. It's all you know. She's not. She's she's not as humanitarian as as we'd like to hope that she
0: is. I think she gets there ish by the end, uh, but it does take it does take a while for her to. To kind of uh, come around a little bit more. I think once once uh, Cornelius's theory is verified, and by the way, having that that all that that cave underneath with the uh, the relics of of humanity and the and the doll that then talks, like what a what a clever way to uh, to confirm all of all of that and like the that the apes evolved from the humans, even even on this world, which is totally not Earth, by the way. Uh, at that point yeah,
1: totally,
0: uh, totally. yeah. <laughs> i uh I, yeah I, I think that's such a a a smart way to uh to uncover the past of, about this society because it raises a lot of questions about our own you know it raises a lot of a lot of questions of our own religious beliefs our own political beliefs our own like what what if our our own belief systems what about our our own ideologies are based on misinformation. Are based on uh, you know the people in power keeping things. And this feels like a this feels like a very much a product of the '60s, like peace, love, like that whole vibe. Like there's so much of that where you can you can 100% see like a legion of hippies walking out of the theater, be like, "See, man, they're trying to keep us down, man." And you know, I, I love that they that, that this movie has that. It, it both feels timeless, but it also very much carries sort of the the uh, the subculture of the of the day.
1: Yeah, it, it, I mean, this movie is absolutely a product of the time. There, there's definitely no question about that. Um, it's I I would wager that this film never stops being relevant. I th- yeah. I, again, I think that's part of its legacy. I think that's part of why. This film, more than most science fiction um, of its of its ilk, has, has survived as long as it has in pop culture, um, and and it's I mean it's all a credit to the filmmakers because I I've actually read the the book that this is pseudo based on, and they had nothing to work with.
0: <laughs> really? What is how what is, how does the book work? The book comparison? is
1: terrible. I I'm just going to be blunt. <laughs> the book is not good. Like the book start the book is is book-ended with uh this couple that's just on like a out in space. Just out in space. Um on like a little excursion trip. Um and they find this journal of this you know this guy is is talking about his adventures and what he's dealing with and what he's dealing with with this planet of apes um and then you get to the end where this couple is is kind of commenting on what they think from what they just read and at that point the the book is just like oh yeah these guys are they, they, this couple's apes it's the the ape civilization has evolved Beyond what ours did, haha! Ha. Um, oh wow, it's all very, it's all very clu- just clunky, and um, this, you know, somebody had a great idea for maybe a short story, and then he just kept writing it as a full-length book, and didn't have enough to really make it work. Um, it's it's one of the few instances where I can say the the movie is leaps and bounds better than the book when it comes to sci-fi, a lot of the times the book is just better Cate- You know, it, it's categorically better um, or they're equal, but this is the movie is better
0: than the book mm-hmm. without question. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, one thing I want to talk about obviously is the makeup. As we said at the top of the show, Oscar winning uh, honorary Oscar went to uh, Dang, I had the name John Chambers for the makeup achievement in this movie. How do you feel watching this now decades later? How do you feel that the makeup holds up? Because I, I think there it depends very much on the character uh, weirdly enough. Like certain characters, I think it looks pretty good even now and some you're they're just very limited by the, the, like the mouth movement that they can do in those uh, in the masks or the makeup depending on how they how they did it for each character.
1: Well, and I, yeah, I don't think, I don't think it's a coincidence um, where it does hold up and where it doesn't hold up. Cause where Mm -hmm. like specifically the one place it holds up the best is with Cornelius. Yes. Um, And that's not a surprise. One, he is one of our, our, he's one of our primary characters. Uh, He's one of the ones that's going to be on screen the most, but also beyond that, you've got Roddy McDowell who's in there, who's a phenomenal actor and the sort of person that you can trust to slap that kind of makeup on and he'll be able to make it work. Um, whereas the worst, uh, the n- not necessarily the ones that hold up the least are the gorillas. Absolutely. The
0: gorillas. Uh, 100% the ones that hold up
1: the least, but they are the ones who aren't really meant to be doing much more than just being there. Yeah. Like they're f- it's fine when they're just you know riding on a horse or just standing there. The second they start talking, it just starts to go down.
0: Yeah, it's Cornelius, obviously McDowell's Cornelius, Kim Hunter is Zera, and Maurice Evans is Zayas. Those three I think look pretty good, even by today's mm-hmm. standards. Uh and then yeah, the I had that I had the gorilla gorilla suits are the worst I had. In my notes, literally verbatim, because it's just like it just looks like they just went to the the costume store down the street and threw that on. Like, just try not to, to move much, or you know, yeah. just say your lines yeah. without moving yeah. your mouth, move it as little as possible. Just go, yeah. you know. And slap that's pretty some, much slap some spirit glue on
1: and hope for the best.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's what that's what they do. Um, and but it, it's interesting. It'll be interesting for me. To watch this whole franchise now And see how the the Makeup effects is, Especially in this original series Change and evolve because I imagine It'll get better to a point And then jump off a cliff Towards the end probably uh, Because that's what happened with the Ninja Turtles <laughs> In the original <laughs> franchise um, I, yes. I'd, have to, I'd have
1: to really watch, watch the, the whole franchise again But to my recollection once we get past like the next movie they're on par, the gorillas are definitely better. Uh, but then from that point, uh, it's basically it kind of, it kind of equals out because Mm -hmm. the studio started paying less money for the movies. They just wanted to make them for the, for the box office. Um, so yeah, the movies start I, to get less love from the studio, and therefore are able to do a little bit less.
0: And this is so clearly not a movie intended to start any kind of franchise. This is pretty much a one and done. From this, and that's what that's the other. That's part of the challenge of of doing this franchise. And why I thought it'd be so fun to talk about is that this movie, they're like, ha, it's Earth the end. The second movie ends in a way more definitive way, uh, and yet still they're like, nope, another one. Uh, and it it just takes such random twists and turns uh, or detours along the way in this franchise, and I, I just I, yeah I think it's I find it so hilarious when uh, a film does well, and then the filmmakers ha- and have to like kind of maneuver theirsel- themselves a little backdoor way to telling another story in that world. And, and this is such a fascinating world to explore. I get it. So it's always like, okay, how, how are you going to do it? Figure it out. Justify yourselves.
1: Yeah. We don't, we don't see that anymore with, with movies. Uh, I would argue since the, you know, the two early two uh, thousands, everything, especially a genre wise, <laughs> everything is made with wiggle room to sequelize. Uh, yeah, the further the further back you go, um, up until I'd say the fifties, which was kind of the end of like the Universal Monster movie era and the like, you know, just knocking out like how many how many times can we make a Road Two movie or an Abbott and Costello movie? Um, the, there was, you know, from like the 60s, 60s to the nineties, there is this strange challenge that you see every now and then of them going, okay, how do we get into the sequel? That definitely doesn't make
0: sense. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: This, this one's definitely very high up there in the, uh, dealing with that challenge.
0: Yeah. The universal monsters is a good call because those movies will just straight up kill Frankenstein and they will be like, okay, but what if there was another part of the story we didn't get into involving his bride and they they have to have a whole framing device sort of explaining why there's a sequel in the first place. Yeah. That kind of thing. Exactly. is exactly what I'm talking about. I I, I love that so much. Just creative entryways instead of like, well, maybe I'll see you next time at the end of a a film. It's like, you know, a world before everything being a shared universe. I, I, I kind of miss in a way because it's, you miss that ingenuity of, having to having to figure out where a, a a franchise can be sort of reverse engineered. Even something like uh like Pirates of the Caribbean, which was not meant to be a franchise. In the sequel, they're like, well, what if that compass that you saw briefly in the first one, what if that had this different ability that you didn't know about because we didn't yeah. explain exactly what it did. So we have a crack open in the window that we can kind of toss all the way open and fuel the whole next two movies that kind of thing i i exploiting little details and making them more important later i think that's a really fun reframe yeah 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 and so this movie has only so much to deal with which is why the the second one it, it kind of goes in a in a in some ways, vastly different direction, uh, but I want to I wanted to back it up. I'm, I'm getting I'm getting ahead of myself here. So <laughs> this film, obviously, uh, I want to talk about the cast of this movie. Charlton Heston, you know, uh, big big burly masculine guy smoking his cigar, talking about how Ah oh, Stuart, we missed our chance with her um, in this thing. <laughs> Uh, Mr. Cynicism himself. Wow, what do you think of his? How do you think of his performance in this movie as as then uh, a sort of an untraditional lead as far as his values are concerned? And what is him being the protagonist of this movie? What does that sort of set up for the films going forward? Because the the protagonist of this movie, I feel like of this franchise, shifts a lot. Uh, and, you know, I, I think this, it, it's. This is an interesting starting point for, for the franchise.
1: I mean, having him as the lead was down... I mean, it was very arguably might have been more genius than the ending of the movie. Because I can only imagine the amount of men that normally wouldn't think for two seconds about going to see one of those kiddie little sci-fi movies then going wait, Heston's in this Mm-hmm. Charlton had, hes- well, maybe, maybe, maybe this one will won't be so bad. And, uh, yeah, I imagine there were a lot of people that came to this movie and were willing to give it a chance because of him. And I, you know, I, I still think this is one of his best performances. I think he's fantastic. I think he's perfectly suited. Um, he's yeah like you said he's kind of got the burly man mentality but it's very clear that physically in this movie he is not as put together um mm-hmm. he is definitely a little bit scrawny or a little on the malnourished side which makes sense
0: he also gets um, wounded pretty early on yeah for for most of the film where he's unable to speak which I think Maybe Heston appreciated because he didn't have a lot of lines for some of this. It's like, oh, I could just I just react to everything happening around me, and I think that you know that works for him, for an acting perspective. But it's also it's also a challenge because he has to be the voice of this movie without a voice, and exactly. yeah. It, yeah, and it gives it gives the audience a a viewpoint into the ape society without really being able without really having Taylor engage in it in the same way without having his full agency and sort of taking control like this character would if he was fully able to do so.
1: Well yeah, we take his voice away, we take the audience's voice away. The audience right. can sit there and wonder what the hell's going on, where am I? They could the audience can wonder whatever questions they want, but their connection into the movie is mute for a good chunk of the movie um and by the time he can talk well there's just too many important things going on at that point to really care about the basics um whatever basics we need we feel like we already have things have gotten too important now that he can talk we need to focus on those things
0: yeah yeah exactly exactly no i i i yeah i agree with you i think he is really really good in this movie and i think you get like i said earlier you get enough of an arc with him that you sort of buy his, that he also has sort of a little bit of a hope for creating a life, even on this planet with Nova uh, somewhere beyond the forbidden zone uh, by the end of this movie until he realizes the truth and his worst fears are realized, etc. Uh We mentioned Roddy McDowell. This guy is, I thought he was in all five. It turns out he's not in beneath. He is, is a different actor for that one scene playing Cornelius uh, early in the film, but he is, essentially the face of this franchise for this first five movies uh and i think rightfully so because cornelius rules cornelius may be the best one of the the best character in this movie because everything you know taylor is like this is my story this is where i came from Zira is like oh maybe this is this etc etc and cornelius is like Come on! <laughs> what are we talking about here? Like Rod, the the Rodney the.
1: pulls off an eye roll in.
0: Ape he Man. sure does. He pulls he sh- off
1: the most epic eye roll in cinema history.
0: And literally every time, if I'm on Twitter and I'm looking for a gift from *Planet of the Apes*, that one constantly to the point that when I saw and I rewatched the movie, I was like, yeah, "There it is! There's the moment that I keep seeing." And I was like because I had for it's been a while since I've seen this I was like how exactly does that play out in the movie though and I was like no no it plays out exactly the same (laughs) you 100% just kind of side eyes everybody it's amazing
1: yeah yeah it's (sighs) it's it's, it's like half a step away from looking at the audience and just kind of mouthing to us like what the hell
0: (laughs) you believe this crap
1: like, yeah like he's he's so close to a fourth wall break it's not even funny but he, he <laughs> manages to stop just shy of it yeah what
0: what what is it about roddy mcdowell that you think is such a good fit for this this film i guess specifically but then also going forward because like i said he plays cornelius he plays caesar later on uh what what is it about roddy mcdowell in ape makeup that's just so damn compelling
1: well, I, th- I think it's, again, the fact that he, more th- arguably more than anyone else, is able to work in the makeup so easily. I think that's a major factor. And then I think on top of that, you have this guy who, even though he might not normally look at, he can really command a room. Mm-hmm. So to have him build up to being this leader who brings upon uh brings upon so much it makes a, a, t- a kind of sense it it checks out i i understand it um i understand you know i buy him being able to unite and lead because of, of just just who he is the presence that he gives um so yeah, I guess I, yeah, I just I I buy him doing all the th- n- necessary things to make it happen.
0: It also makes me wish that with the new movies going forward, they would have they would have just done the same kind of thing and had Andy Circus come back as really uh, as Cornelius. Yeah, I
1: yeah, I was like, let's get I was like, let's get a sequel trilogy where he plays his ba- you know the baby of himself because like in Rise of the Planet of the Apes we set it up we have the whole news news clip like the throwaway news clip on the tv of the the spaceship got got lost yep you know we have like we set it up we set going into this version like going into this section we set it up so it's one of those things where it's like you could totally have done that like you could, you could absolutely have just had him continue to play the part, have him play the son who's now grown up and have him get to play something completely different. Um, and, and I, yeah, I would have bought it. I would have had fun with it. Um, that, or, you know, if you're not going to have him do that and we do get Taylor and the crew crash landing, Make him Landon <laughs> like make him <laughs> landing get to have some fun with live action work or something. Just, just make sure he comes back.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's I'm glad that they are at least not so far. They don't seem like they're they have interest in remaking this movie. Like I way prefer the remixing or like exploring different elements, different periods of this uh, this history than just sort of going back and doing this again. I think that's what might get to a movie later on in this, in this series of podcasts where a movie tried to kind of start over and uh, didn't exactly work out very well. Um, well here's, but, and, uh, and but yeah. Is,
1: I'll, I'll argue that I absolutely think that they do need to do this storyline. Maybe okay. not identical, but I do think they need to do it again. And the reason being that we have a... St- the. With the original franchise, we had to shift from human lead to ape lead mm-hmm. to um, to work with the things that happened in the sequels. Whereas in this new in this this revamp of the franchise that we have this modern take, it's started and stayed with the apes as the leads. I mean, we've literally we have you know, we've, we've, we've we've, no human lasts longer than a movie (laughs) in any of this new trilogy. It's true. And, and we're going so far into the future with this next one, that obviously even the little kid from war is not going to be around. Um, but we've, we've stuck with the apes. So doing this storyline where the main character that we're following is your, you know, your Cornelius and your Zira, and we're sticking with them dealing with everything, and not Taylor dealing with everything. I think that I think the change in perspective would be absolutely fascinating to watch.
0: Yeah, I mean, the whole point of this movie is that sort of inverted evolutionary bond between humanity and and apes, and I think having the franchise evolve to reflect that makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah. But I mean, and it's all like they're comfortable enough in what they're doing with the modern stuff that there isn't there isn't the we need to we need to compete mentality that we had the first time we decided to to try again that they don't feel a need to compete. And so therefore we can continue to make. Um, do strong storytelling instead of focusing on matching moments
0: i think just so much of the more recent movies has been how do we get to that point where humanity falls and apes completely take over and then now it's how do we how do we as apes try and maintain a society and hold it together now that we're in power i feel like that's what the Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is going to be about because that's sort of what these movies kind of get to at some point or another is that you know they're they're already at this point in the movie they're already sort of pulling apart at the seams. There's already you know apes are building their entire world around this deep dark secret that could blow everything apart. So it's like at what point? Does that become the foundation for their world? I guess. At what point is that decision made? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm I'm open for them to reexplore this story a bit, but but yeah, yeah. It's there's there's, there's a lot more ground to cover because there's like hundreds or thou- I forget how many hundreds or thousands of years in between, and uh, and I kind of want the, to them to explore some of that first. I think.
1: Yeah. All all I know is I have not not to live too much into the the modern uh the modern films uh since we are but i i've trusted those ever since rise brought back um jerry goldsmith's phenomenal score by having patrick doyle mm-hmm. put in the hunting war cry in, in the uh, at the beginning of the third act of rise the, that we get with um the hunt at the in the introduction of the apes in the original you know jerry goldsmith's score for for planet of the apes is phenomenal
0: yeah no it's uh, iconic
1: it's it's just absolute it's one of those amazing uh pieces that that if you hear it even if you don't recognize where it's from you're going to get chills you're going to you're going to feel the emotions that you need to feel from it without it ever kind of forcing them upon you. Um, and, and it's, you know, there are some, there are some movies that the score is like the linchpin. It's the thing that seals the deal. And I think that planned the apes, uh, if, if not falling into that category it falls very, very close to it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so too. It's, and something i noticed as well i had in the notes about about the score um uh, let's see what else anything else i wanted to point out uh we get a little bit of the like i said the sort of religious framework for this society here with the you know they ape uh, the lawgiver created ape in his own image we get the whole thing with the lawgiver set up here in this movie uh the Let's see. We, we 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 see Landon after he, he gets a lobotomy. That's another really shocking moment. We I need to make sure we mention. Uh, yeah. That's that's really intense, uh, I, especially for a movie that at the time, you know, at the time was rated G. Uh,
1: <laughs> what's funny is that like rev- there's like a Landon and I'm I'm spacing on the other the other guys Dodge guy right now Dodge Landon and Dodge they kind of get each other's. Um, they kind of get each other's deaths because they, you know, Dodge is very obsessed with. He's there for the science. He's like, that's mm-hmm. what he cared. That's what he folks about. So, the lobotomy would be like the ultimate thing for him of like being alive but ha- not having his brain. Whereas right. Landon dreamed of this immortality, and Dodge gets it by being immortalized in the museum as a piece of the museum. Um, so they weirdly get each other's worst fates, which I didn't realize it never hit me until the last time I watched the film.
0: That's crazy that you can, that you could see this movie so many years later and that it's still, you're still noticing little details like that. I think that's, that, that speaks a lot to the richness of this material. And like you're saying, <laughs> apparently it didn't come from the book very much so yeah. uh, it's there's a there's a lot of little things like that like the uh the the monkeys uh the the apes on the council are like the three wise monkeys they the see no evil hear no evil yep. speak no evil i thought that was great um uh all the fact that they said that all men look alike to most apes which is mm-hmm. i think how we would feel about animals so there's yeah. a lot of again a lot of that reversal happening I I really always appreciate that that's how something that this franchise plays with again and again a human seem human do for example things like that it's, um yeah
1: I was going to say there the in the, and, and the weirdest of like pseudo connections the I always for some reason loved when they're chasing him around the casket like that yeah. moment of just yeah. the, the and, and for whatever weird reason, because I grew up watching the show that always makes me think of the TV show, the monkeys, the, Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. It always makes me think cause that's the kind of stuff that they would do all the time. So it was just, it was always just been that kind of amusement to me of like. That's definitely not what they're going for. They're not going for any of that sort of reference. But because I grew, because of what I grew up watching, I get like this weird <laughs> added, um, little comedic reference and and connective tissue.
0: Yeah, yeah. Any comedy they have in here is <clears throat> much more, much more darkly edged. Uh, than than that, because uh, there there is a there is a little bit there's a little bit of of comedy in this, but not a lot. Like it's very macabre uh, sense of humor. Um, I, I also noted it feels like there's a, a little bit, even though Zira is like, oh, but you're so ugly. It, it feels like there's a little bit of weird sexual chemistry between Zira and Taylor. Every time I watch this, I'm like, mm, there's something going on. She's like, you're ugly, but you're you're like you know, primitive. It's like a whole, <laughs> there's a whole fetish thing going on there. She, um,
1: yeah. She, she really wants to, uh, to, to lay down the science work on that one. She wants, <laughs> to, uh, she wants to work on the spreadsheet on that one.
0: That's yeah. Yeah, different. exactly. That's something that, that's, that's replayed kind of throughout this franchise and and different, especially most notably, I would say in the, uh, the 2001 with Mark Wahlberg and Helena Bonham Carter. <laughs> uh that's a, kind of a reprisal of this dynamic a bit uh and i love that one of the characters i forget who it was i think it might have been cornelius is like why must knowledge stand still which is i thought was, was just succinct classic way of, of putting the whole point of this movie of it's actually uh, nephew. Uh, is Lucius. it the, oh it's yeah. Lucius. Yeah. it yeah. is Lu- okay Lucius
1: actually yells that um, when it's, bi- when it's, when Cornelius right. has been taken away
0: yeah. to be
1: held on trial, it's- he yells that, um, after Zira start. Zira is focused on like, this isn't fair. This isn't fair. Lucius right. is the one that asks the big question.
0: Yeah. It's um, a real, like, uh, the, the, I believe the children are our future. Yes. <laughs> Teach them well and let them lead the way kind of moment. Where it's just like, ah, oh, so Lucius, that's the next generation of apes coming up. they're gonna they're gonna get their stuff together. they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna you know fight for justice, et cetera., yep. uh, and then the thing that ju- I noticed that just struck me as funny is this movie where apes have taken over, we're far in the future, et cetera, et cetera. And the most unbelievable thing to me is that English is still the language <laughs> that's being spoken and written. Um, <laughs> of course, it's a movie, and you gotta roll with it, but it's like, I don't know if that would be the language that would stick around but sure. It, it,
1: yeah, it's it's a it's and it's one of those things where I I do wonder like if we if if he had landed in Paris and the big reveal at the end was the Eiffel Tower would all of the apes spoken French and he would have just been screwed. Like it's <laughs> impossible. I totally believe that cuz one I mean I, again one of the things that I the just the way that the human mind works we get jaws jaws comes out the shark dies at the end people are scared to swim Mm -hmm. planet of the apes comes out technically the apes win we start doing scientific research that includes (laughs) training (laughs) apes to be more like us
0: yeah (laughs) gosh
1: we get the complete wrong message. In a <laughs>
0: so send them it's, into space is what you're saying.
1: Exactly. Got it. Yeah. And, yeah. But that's. I guess that's kind of why I've always accepted the. Um, the the English is what they're speaking is because I right. always kind of thought of the, as the mindset of. Up up until the the sequels came out and explained it a little bit more, I always right. viewed it as these. You know, they became highly intelligent from all of our scientific research and, 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 experimentation to, to see how smart we can make apes. So yeah. I was just kind of viewed it as that, and just kind of let it go is, is just being that kind <laughs> of an explanation.
0: No, it, it works. It works. It's just one of those things that's funny to me when you're like, huh, but English. Sure. Um, yeah, is it's, there it's any? Like a,
1: it's like a movie that takes place in ancient Rome, but everyone has a British accent. Yeah, it's
0: the, you know, <laughs> right, the, right the, exactly. The three
1: hundred, the three hundred were led by a really, really angry Scotsman. Um, it, it,
0: it's like the inverse to me of of something like the end of AI, where thousands of years later humanity's gone, and so these little like these aliens are running things, and you're like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. I got it. That that would of course a, a way way more sophisticated. You know, uh, creature species, etc., would be in running things long after we've blown ourselves up, probably like in this movie. Uh, so that that I that I buy, but the apes speaking English, I don't know that that I bristle up against. And this is this is coming from uh, the host of a show where we spent seven movies at the very beginning of the show talking about. But Chucky, how can he come back? The voodoo curse like changes every movie, and it's and i and I felt like a total doofus being like. I know it's a movie. I know it's a doll. We need them back, but it's also like, why isn't one movie? It's this whole long process, and the other movie, it's like three words. The answer is dramatic effect. They needed it to be longer in the earlier movie and stuff. I don't know these little yeah. things that, that that strike me as uh, as funny in, in these kinds of movies.
1: It's uh, it's always fun to find. I think that's the the sign of of. Of loving of of a true and proper love of cinema is to be yeah. able to look at those things and just laugh, know that exactly. it's just part of the way it is, and and move forward. Um, yeah, you know, and the I mean the the antithesis for that to me is another thing that that owes something to Planet of the Apes, and that's Mystery Science Theater Three Thousand. Yeah. I mean, we got a, we got a lot of mileage on that show off of planet of the Apes um not even just from professor Bobo but in the earlier seasons when they did the the Japanese knockoff version of planet of the Apes
0: mm-hmm. um
1: but just that sort of like kind of acknowledge with you know the wink and a nod of of what can sometimes be the silliness uh and this movie this movie has its share but it it's part of the charm of your willing to not make it what makes the movie bad.
0: I think that's sort of the not bait and switch because I think it's, it's more, it has a, yields a more positive result than that. But that's part of the, I think the, the the allure of this movie is that you come in expecting this crazy high concept and you come out being like, wow, that actually was a lot deeper than I realized. And it had actually had something to say it wasn't just, you know, kind of like, oh, watch people, apes on horses. What? You know, it actually has, uh, has a message underlying uh, about uh, us and sort of a cautionary tale about, uh, you know, our true nature and, and all of that stuff. And uh, is, is there anything about Planet of the Apes that we didn't talk about that you wanted to make sure we mentioned before we start, start winding down here?
1: Set uh, Set design. Uh, just a quick shout for the the set design for the film is phenomenal. And um, every, I mean, it it all just looks really good. And it's you just how much you can hear the, 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 again, I noticed it from this last time watching it, that the amount that you can really hear the footsteps um, when they're walking on even like the high rise portions of, of set pieces, like in the museum, whether that's, credit to the sound designer or whether that's credit to the set director it's the the two combined really make the sets much more believable than a lot of the the campier movies that would come out at the time
0: and it's also in, in an early version i think it was serling's version of the script the apes society was supposed to be way more uh, technologically advanced yeah so they had to wait to pare that way down to make them, you know, sort of more primitive in nature, at least as far, at least, you know, aesthetically. Uh, And I don't think this story suffers at all. In fact, I feel like it makes it more believable and it it makes everything feel more real than if, you know, they were living in like silver buildings and wearing jumpsuits or whatever the hell they were Mm -hmm. supposed to do in that original version. I think this actually uh, is one of those cases where a budgetary restriction actually yielded a more creative result.
1: Yeah. I mean, they're kind of in their version of the middle ages. Yeah. where like, there's this, you know, science is coming into its own and religion is still this like heavy, strict theocracy that, that runs the show. Um, The, yeah, there's, it's a weird, there's a weird medieval quality to the, the stage of, of development that
0: they're at. Yeah. And the fact that they're, that Zayas is both, I think, what is it? Minister of science and defender of the faith at the same time. It's yes. just, it's like, uh, not, not, not done. You know, there's probably should be different positions, different committees of positions. Just, I don't know. Just saying they'll figure it out eventually, I guess, uh, or not as the sequel gets into, um, but, uh, but what is the, what does this franchise Planet of the Apes uh contribute to cinema? What's the legacy of these movies in your opinion?
1: Uh, it, it created it, it created a respect for science fiction to be sure. Um where it's not just, you know, it's not excessively cerebral like again 2001, it's not franchisey stuff like Star Wars and it's not camp like a bird eye gordon film um, from that time period uh it could be cerebral it could be fun it could have action um it could have big name stars in it um i mean even 2001 does not have big names in the movie this this true heston being in this movie gave it a lot of legitimacy it's kind of like having, uh, Stuart and McKellen in the first X-Men.
0: Yeah, um, very much.
1: So it, it created, it opened this, this whole doorway to respect. And I don't think we would have gotten thing. I I don't think George Lucas would have been able to get his start with THX 11 without this. Um, and without the kind of the snowball effect of like getting, you know, your Logan's runs and, and all of that kind of stuff, um, And we, we still see it today because it's kind of, it's the nexus. It's the, it's the, it's the primary to compare. If you're going to make a future, you know, dystopian future sci-fi fish out of water. Like if you're going to do something of like dystopian future science fiction, this is, you know, this is one of the first movies that you look at of like, okay, what are you trying to do here? you know every you know some people are going to say blade runner list blade runner some people are going to list strange days some people are are going to list um a movie like inception but everybody is going to list planet of the apes when they're discussing because this movie in terms of using sci-fi to discuss modern you know themes of the day the you know the big twist ending, which these days we're incredibly used to, but at the time was not the norm. Um, all of these, all of these different elements that this film had, are still the ones that we strive for in science fiction, especially. So it, it's it's the nexus that you kind of base where you're going and what you're doing off of.
0: It's also for genre. Franchise filmmaking, even though this wasn't intended to be a franchise, they willed it into one. <laughs> and, you know, here we are, dec- over 50 years later, and they're like, let's make another one. Let's keep it going. Yeah. Uh, I, I, even in that way, I, I, as you were mentioning Heston and his the importance of his role in this, it sort of made me think of uh, Marlon Brando in Superman the movie, which is, I think, a similar sort of, yeah. let's get a man's man, a real movie star to, Mm -hmm. to, you know, give top billing, Gene Hackman even to, you know, to an extent in that as well, uh, to, to head this thing up so that, you know, actually dads and moms will go see this movie with their kids and not be like, oh, it's flying around in tights. That's silly stuff. Uh, you know, we're now we're here decades later and superhero films are everywhere, like a little too much everywhere at this point. I think most of us would agree. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it, it really is. It really is a, a, a nexus, as you put it. That, that's a beautiful way of putting it. Uh, do you have a ranking for these nine movies? I know that I, I think that, that for this mega series of episodes, I think I'm going to probably act, phrase it that way because I ha, expecting each guest to have seen all nine movies, that's a, that's a tall-ish order for some people. But if you have one at the ready, I, I would love to hear it.
1: I, I, I mean, for myself, I know like... Yes, the Tim Burton one is is last. Um, though I will say, I dig the the end plot twist. I
0: actually dig it. It's um, interesting. I, 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 think I think it's. I think it's just too convoluted that general audiences are like. Wait a minute, I don't get it. How, I be, think.
1: Yeah, I think yeah. it's the right level of different. I think it just it required a sequel. I think that's the issue. Right. I think that's the. I think that's the biggest issue with that finale. But I think the finale is enough of a same but different that i always kind of liked it even when i originally watched the film um but that's the i'm outside of that and the creature effects the movie is um is what it is um but for me you know this you know this the original it is you know it's top spot obviously Mm -hmm. um and then it goes dawn of the planet of the apes uh, I still remember my jaw dropping at some of the moments in that film. And then Rise of the Planet of the Apes. I mean, any movie that can make me go, yeah, I can believe that James Franco is smart enough to do science. <laughs> um, any movie that can make me do that clearly is doing something good. Um,
0: and, and the was- real magic trick of that movie that, that is that it made this franchise, it, it reinvigorated this franchise after the yeah. Tim Burton one. And it made the the what seemed impossible, and what these movies never, I guess they cut. They didn't. I don't know if they. I don't remember if they quite get to it. But it it made the transition for how the apes uprising started feel like it could really happen in a way. It, It justified everything in the way that you felt like felt impossible and the way that like Batman begins, which we've covered on this podcast made Batman and every little bit of his arsenal feel like, Oh yeah, that could totally happen. There could be a rich guy who has all these things and this would be how we, this is how he would do it and all that. Like it, it yeah, it, it legitimizes all of it again, all over again.
1: Well, and I, uh, yeah, I was even going to say like my, my, my friends know how I feel about Chris Nolan, but um. But I would say I was going to say it's very much like Batman Begins. Although I would
0: say, oh, sorry, that it's
1: no, no, it's fine. Um, I I would say it's far more successful um, than Batman Begins um, because it doesn't have to adhere. It's it it. Batman Begins, I argue, goes too far in trying to be like oh so realistic so realistic that it gets to the point where it has to go into the ridiculous of a nuclear bomb for mm-hmm. the 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 finale of the trilogy whereas mm-hmm. this embraces the the ridiculousness to a certain extent so that way it has room to move and to breathe so you get the, you get a trilogy that flows almost perfectly yeah, um, where most trilogies just don't. Um, but I, I like for me, you get those 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 first three, and this will be the thing that'll be fascinating for me when I lit as I listen to to all the episodes after this one. I'm very curious to see where people put the other four films in this in the original franchise, and where they put War of the Planet of the Apes like where those fit into people's rankings. Cause for me, they all fluctuate
0: constantly
1: Mm -hmm. because like, I, you know, not to, you know, I don't want to go in too much. That way I'm not taking away from talking points for, for future episodes, but beneath an escape, some, you know, sometimes I think about those movies and I go, you know what, there isn't a single flaw in that movie that doesn't get saved by what they do at the end of the movie for, Mm -hmm. for, both of those movies I get that feeling every now and then and for conquest and battle it's it's the whole like concept versus execution battle so I I struggle to rank them uh and I'll be very curious to see uh if anyone if anyone for the the next eight are able to to do so
0: yeah yeah and where where would you put war just in the midst of the the four follow-ups to this
1: it, it fluctuates so much um, just, you know, yeah. And, and, and the, the, again, not to, to delve too much into, to other, to material for, for other people, for other episodes. Sure. Uh, a big part of, I'd say the biggest part of why war fluctuates for me, um, setting aside just like personal, like not being happy with, with what happens at the end, not Because of anything more than just personally being like, no, no, don't. Right. Um, It's the the war is so like I can watch Dawn never. I can just turn on Dawn, whatever. I don't always feel like I can do that with war. Like I feel like I have to marathon to watch war Mm -hmm. more often than I feel like, oh, I could just turn on war for the planet of the apes and enjoy it. Um. So that's I honestly that's the biggest reason why that that movie fluctuates for me.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. No, I mean, not to get into my my feelings on the franchise, but I, I kind of agree with your. I I certainly agree with your top two. I might even put Dawn above this, uh, just because I I was completely blown away by that the first time I saw it, and totally I think understand that yeah. And I think it 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 feels like, in some ways, feels like the perfect encapsulation of everything this franchise is trying to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, people will hear hear my conversation when we get to that. But it's the the fact that this franchise eight movies in. It was like, okay, we finally cracked it, guys. I, I think that's that's amazing. I think that that's incredible that they make us the eighth movie in this franchise is i would say i would say it's it's pretty close to inarguably because if you ask most people who have seen all nine movies i feel like it would be it's going to be this one and dawn maybe maybe rise and war kind of in the conversation a bit yeah. but i feel like it's this and dawn are are you know pretty Absolutely. closely aligned I think it's a, um, I
1: think for most people it's a question of which one of the two is your number one and which one is your number two, and exactly is it a photo finish or is it just clear enough to the naked eye to call it?
0: Right, absolutely. No, that uh, no, that's a that's a that's a good rationale for the ranking. It's 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 a hard franchise to rank, and uh, for me, like there's a there's a lot of them that I have only seen once actually. After other than this one, the, the four after this. I'm. I'll be watching for the second time for this for these podcasts. So I, you know, that's why when I was referencing some of the stuff that happens in later on in the series, uh, in the sequels to this movie, I was like, I think that happens kind of. I, I don't. I don't remember. You know, some parts of conquest and battle specifically get a little blurry. So it'll be interesting to to for me to sort of figure out where I would place those in context with the the more recent films as well.
1: Yeah, well, I'll be cur- I'll be curious to see, um, because for me, that's another thing with them is is arguably the and sometimes the inability to to separate one from the other one. Um, for myself personally, I'll be curious to see as as you get to those episodes, um, and I'm able to listen to them. What exactly uh, the take is for you guys on that?
0: Definitely. Well, Thomas, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for coming on and talk about Planet of the Apes from 1968. Tell people where they can find you and Perpetual Cinema on social media. Uh,
1: if you guys want to find Perpetual Cinema on uh, social media, it's on Twitter at Perpetual Cinema. Uh, that's where you'll find uh, me. And it's it, that's, that's my entire so, uh, social media existence. Uh, so, you'll see me on there doing random rantings, ravings, or um, as it was last night for the Oscars, uh, declarations of my willingness to kill for Selma Hayek um, after <laughs> seeing her in that dress. So. Uh, um, understandable yeah no one of my friends was like really and i said yeah just point me to one of the reagans and i'll do it uh, <laughs> and but yeah so i'm on there and then uh anywhere that you listen to this show you can find uh perpetual cinema uh the the show to listen to it um yeah that's yeah it's nice and simple for me with, <laughs> with that,
0: <laughs> with, that with, with that and your feelings for salma hayek nice and Clear cut. You're like, nope, this is defined and this is defined. Those are the the two things I need in life. A clear social media handle and a willingness to kill for Salma Hayek. Everything else is secondary. Big thanks to Thomas Green from Perpetual Cinema for coming on to discuss 1968's Planet of the Apes, original recipe Planet of the Apes. We'll have, just like the Ninja Turtles mega series, we'll have a few movies that are very similarly titled uh, but this is the original with Charlton Heston, which is a ton of fun to talk about. But I want to know, was this your entry point for the franchise? I assume a lot of people maybe came to it with the more recent films. But I want to know, what's your experience with the original, the OG Planet of the Apes films uh, film? Let me know. You can find me on Twitter, at Crooked Table. Same handle on Instagram, via email at robert at com. We'll be back next episode with Beneath the, the Planet of the Apes, the 1970s film to dis- discover how they turn this thing into a franchise, and uh, it- it's it's weird. It's, it's going to be a rocky road, everybody. So strap in. We'll be back next time. For now, that's a wrap on another Crooked Table production. Catch you the next stop, everyone.
1: This has been a production of CrookedTable.com.
0: Oh, All your... <laughs> reserved. <not> <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>